0: What's up, friends? It's Haley, AKA Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give em the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in, now let's give them the bird. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Give Him a Bird. My name is Haley aka Bird and on today's episode we are chatting all things sugar addiction with Ashley Wentworth. Ashley is a registered dietitian nutrition therapist practicing non-diet nutrition with a focus on intuitive eating. She is a health at every size aligned practitioner and specializes in helping people transform their relationships with food and their bodies. She has over 10 years of experience in the nutrition field and understands that diets don't work and how damaging they can be to our physical, mental, and emotional health. Ashley believes in size diversity, body inclusivity, intuitive eating, and enjoying food. I decided to reach out to Ashley after I read an article in the October 2021 issue of Certified, which is an online monthly publication from Ace Fitness, or um, Ace Fitness is uh, American Council on Exercise, which is who I have my personal training certification through. The article was titled Sugar Addiction, Real or Hype? And right off the bat, I was really happy to see Ace Fitness talking about this because the spreading of the claim that sugar is an addictive substance is largely perpetrated by the fitness industry and many other industries, right? But largely the fitness. So I was really excited to see that Ace was putting info out there to shed some light on this highly controversial topic. I really liked the way Ashley presented the data on sugar addiction, so I figured I'd reach out to see if she'd be up for an interview, and she was. So in this episode, we dive into sugar addiction. We discuss where the sugar addiction claim kind of originated from, Um, what some of the limitations are of these studies that show sugar addiction is a real thing. And Ashley also provides a review of some of the research that suggests restriction and dopamine might be the source for what feels like addiction rather than actual addiction. We also talk a little bit about the difference between dieting and the diet mentality and the unintended consequences of psychological restriction and what psychological restriction even means. Ashley provides some tips for folks who might feel like they're addicted to sugar. And I really like the end where we talk about kind of finding the gray area in all of this. So how can we not restrict or fear sugar and also be mindful of our sugar intake? I think you'll really like what Ashley has to say, so be sure to stay tuned until the end. Overall, this is a great evidence-supported discussion with someone who really knows her stuff and takes a gentle approach when it comes to the topic. If you enjoy what Ashley has to say, be sure to find her on Instagram at ashleywentworth.rd or visit her website at ashleywentworth.com. Before we dive in, I just want to remind you that supporting the podcast is super duper easy. If you listen on Apple, you can rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're on Spotify, you can now follow and rate the show as well. Another super easy way is to share this episode on your social media and tag me at Give em the Bird Podcast. All right, let's get into my conversation with Ashley Wentworth on all things sugar addiction. Hello, Ashley, and welcome to GTB. Hi there. Thank you for having me yes i'm so excited to chat with you today all about sugar addiction is it real is it fake there is this is this is just something that we see all over the place i feel like um, with diet culture and everything it just runs rampant um but before we get into that i'd love if you want to take a minute just to introduce yourself for folks who may not know who you are sure thank you so i'm a registered dietitian
1: Um, I went through, you know, traditional schooling for that, which includes an undergrad degree and then an internship and then an exam. And then I practiced for a while in a lot of different areas. I'm in Vermont, so it's pretty rural. I practice in Vermont and New Hampshire a little bit, lots of different areas, clinical, outpatient, public health, wellness, um, kind of everywhere you could work around here. I probably stuck my toe in a little (laughs) bit. Um, And then I got an opportunity to, through a grant program um, that New Hampshire was doing, there was a university near, and they were putting providers through um, their eating disorder course because there's not a lot of um, support for eating disorders in our area. And I finally got to go to one of the courses. It was, I think it was eating disorder treatment or nutrition for eating disorder treatment um, with Marcy Evans. I don't know if anybody with her and I didn't know who she was at the time, which was kind of a bummer, (laughs) Um, but she blew my mind and I have not looked back since. So learning about diet culture, being more of an anti-diet dietitian or non-diet nutrition focus with intuitive eating and health at every size, you know, weight inclusive, size inclusive, all of that good stuff. Um, so I started a private practice a couple of years ago, focusing on that, but also serving my local community also, so seeing one- on- one clients. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at today. And you know, like I said, once you learn about diet culture and the stronghold it has over everybody and how much focus we put on weight and health when it really doesn't need to be that way, can't really look back from that. And so go yeah. head
0: first. <laughs> we are (laughs) yes i i totally agree with that and i think i have mentioned it before like once it's almost like once you take the veil off you can't like put it back on and sometimes i wish i could just because (laughs) sometimes life feels like it would be easier if i could just turn a blind eye but that's how i felt too when i first kind of dove into intuitive eating back in like 2018 um and uh so cool that you went through a training with marcy evans Mm -hmm. she was one of the people like one of the first pages. I mean, there were a lot of them. But um, when I did like a social media revamp for my own relationship with with food and movement and my body, she was one that I followed as a recommendation from someone somebody somebody that I know. So, so cool that you got to do a training with her. I can only imagine how amazing that probably was definitely it was
1: so great like I said I didn't even know who she was at the time I wish I had so we could have just chatted forever and it was really interesting because it was such a mix of students so mm. I think there was myself and one other dietitian that took part of the course and then the rest were you know kind of regular college students going through the whole program so there were people that had backgrounds in social work or psychology type stuff mm. um so yeah so That's really cool. interesting
0: Yeah, so cool. Um, So, you mentioned like in your own private practice or in your own practice how you've gone from maybe like traditional dietetics and now more on like the anti diet side. I'm curious if you can kind of give us a rundown of if at all that you've noticed that perspective shift in your own life as well. Um, So much of what we talk about on this podcast is how our definitions of healthy and fit change over the years, um, maybe as we learn more about diet culture and, you know, more about intuitive eating. But yeah, I'm just kind of curious if you can tell us a little bit more about how your own personal and maybe a little bit of the professional um, journey with with that has, how it's gone down. Sure. So I guess I would call
1: myself sort of An avid intuitive eater since I was young. I mean, we're all steeped in diet culture. So it was always there. And then, you know, once you go through school for nutrition, it definitely can be a little bit more hyper focused on healthy eating and nutrition and, you know, all of the diet culture stuff. But I think that I've always had a really good handle on the intuitive eating aspect without really knowing that's what I was doing. Um, Like I said, I kind of grew up in a really rural place. We didn't really have TV. My household was really small. So I kind of escaped a little bit, I guess. Um, I never put a really huge pressure on myself for my body size, but I've always been in kind of, you know, the quote unquote, straight size, normal size um, body. And so I think that, you know, works to our advantage for sure. Um, And then, you know, school happened. And I think I focused a little bit more on health and wellness and, Definitely indulged a little bit in some diet culture language. Um, But even with practice, I never really believed that diets work. And so I always steered clients more toward just a general healthful nutrition kind of plan or guide, I guess. Mm -hmm. I never really prescribed calorie counts or anything like that, even before I found more of the intuitive eating approach. So it has shifted for sure. But definitely not a huge shift for myself personally or professionally.
0: Mm, that's refreshing to hear because a lot of the dietitians that I've spoken with, or just people that work in health and fitness. Um, it's almost like we come to this non-diet mentality and non-diet practice because of our own potential harmful relationships with with food and exercise and whatnot so it's really refreshing to hear that some people come to this like just naturally that's the way they were raised and um, the perspective that they always had so it's kind of nice it's kind of nice to hear that
1: (laughs) it always blows my mind like when i hear about clients struggles or hear about you know people experiencing weight stigma because again i'm more of a straight-sized body and it just really makes me so mad, right? Like that's the whole the whole point of the podcast. It just makes me so mad that mm-hmm. people have to go through all of this because we don't need to. And the way people are treated because of their body size or because of their food choices, just totally, totally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what we're doing, right? Changing the narrative a little bit. Yes,
0: yes, little by little. Just a, This is just a little baby podcast, but uh, I, I still think that it, you know, touches people that, that need it when they need it. So, um, yeah. And again, it's really great for me too, as I'm somebody, I'm more of a fitness professional. So I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor, but, um, I focus more with college students on the fitness and having a healthy relationship with, with their bodies and whatnot. So as much as the podcast is to like spread the word, it's also almost, um, it's really helpful for me, especially when I get to speak with, you know, dietitians or therapists or whatever it might be. I even spoke with an endocrinologist like it just it's information that um, the fitness space doesn't have. It's starting to be talk more about health at every size and a non diet approach to well-being. But I mean, as of like two years ago, it was nearly impossible to find like any fitness, not necessarily fitness account, but fitness. Um, company or whatever talk about these issues. And that's kind of how I found you was through um, an ACE fitness article because I'm a certified ACE um, personal, an ACE certified personal trainer rather. Um, And when I saw it like pop up on my like weekly articles to read or whatever, I was like, oh my gosh, they're actually talking about the fact that sugar addiction may not be a real thing. And I dove in and I had to read it. Um, So For listeners, um, Ashley was interviewed for this Ace Fitness article, um, it was like sugar, um, real or hype? That was kind of the the title of it. Um, so tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe about that interview and just that article in general for folks that haven't yeah, had a chance to read. Definitely.
1: It. So, um, I was approached to be a source for the article. They had some great questions about you know how I thought about sugar and whether it's an addictive substance or not, and kind of what my take on it was. And you know, a big takeaway is that a lot of the research that is out there one we need more of it as usual always <laughs> right and then the second piece is that the research when it really started coming out about this sugar addiction um, issue was it's based mostly on rat kind of behavior and the one it's an animal study not a human study so there's definitely some barriers for that. Um, And then the second thing that really struck me was, I think the study originally was published in 2007. So it was a little while ago. And there's obviously been more that are coming out now. Um, But the original one really showed that there are, you know, when the rats are fed sugar, they would sort of like show binge style kind of Mm -hmm. behaviors around it. But what's really interesting and sometimes gets left out of the headlines is that the sugar was really restricted, um, for most of the day until it was time to feed them the sugar. And then of course we can talk about this more if you'd like to, but the restriction kind of behavior sets in. And then of course the rats are going to, you know, kind of overdo it or, you know, enjoy it a lot more or kind of act frenzied or maybe out of control. And, Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that feeling addicted to things is not valid right and I think that's what the main takeaway point is because if we apply it to humans and we're restricting calories or food groups or overall intake or whatever the case might be and maybe we're not even doing it consciously right because there's a difference between like dieting the act of being on a diet or plan or program And then just the shift of having the diet mentality. Mm -hmm. And so we could sort of subconsciously be restricting or trying to be quote unquote good with our eating. Um, And still our body is sensing that restriction. So when we do get access to things that are highly palatable, which is another piece of this research that's out there, um, it's no wonder that we sort of feel that out of control around food, especially things that are highly palatable. And I liked, I saw it somewhere and I can't remember where, but it's similar to like, if we're holding our breath or we're underwater Mm. for a long time swimming, when we come up for air, we're going to be gasping because we were out of air for so long. And I think that's really important because sugar, part of carbohydrates are our main energy source. And so our bodies definitely are telling us to consume these things all the time.
0: It's our body's way of staying alive. Mm-hmm. I've seen that that or read that metaphor as well about the holding our breath, and I think it really puts it into perspective, but I don't think a lot of people think about like, in order to stay alive, we need to have sugar, we need to have carbohydrates. Um, and so putting it in that comparison with um, oxygen or with air, I think is is really powerful. So can you talk a little bit more like the binge restrict cycle that they kind of saw in the rats, essentially? I liked what you were talking about with the diet mentality versus like actively being on a diet. And um, it's like that pseudo permission that we talk about in intuitive eating. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about that for folks who may not not know exactly what you mean by it. Sure. So yeah, so I sort of define the word diet, like when we're thinking about
1: just the word diet or diet culture almost. So I define diet as anything that's giving you any type of rules around food and nutrition. So what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. So like the when would be maybe like intermittent fasting or having certain eating windows or how much as far as portion sizes or weights and measurements or anything like that. Um, And the what obviously, you know, food groups to include to cut out or specific meal plans or anything, calorie counting, um, points counting. Green and red foods, Mm -hmm. kind of looking at noon there. Um, (laughs) Anything like that is definitely considered a diet. But also anything that is sort of geared towards changing the way your body looks, so appearance-wise, so inches or weight, you know, with the goal of weight loss or appearance changes or you know getting more toned, Mm -hmm. maybe or you know different wording that diet culture might use. So I sort of define being on a diet as any of those. And that really includes most things mm-hmm. that are out there. And then, yeah, the sort of diet mentality. So even though we might not be partaking in anything, um, structured, like counting calories or counting points or counting macros or something like that, if we're maybe even just logging food, um, and maybe we're not necessarily counting calories, but you know, the more data we have in front of us, you know, if we had so many calories this day. Oh, well, I'm going to subconsciously, maybe I'm going to try to have less tomorrow. Um, it's just this really hard thing to get away from. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we've all made nutrition really black and white and good and bad. And so it's really hard to think of it as more gray or the intuitive eating style side of things, because I think we're so, um, kind of, program to not trust our bodies anymore around our signals and our nutrition preferences. Um, We really look to that structure in those programs for answers for our nutrition. And when we don't have that, we literally don't know what to do. It's like, okay, well, nobody's telling me what I should do around my nutrition. So I don't know what to do. And then we might just kind of flounder for a while and Maybe our hunger signals don't work. Maybe our fullness signals are kind of off. And then we get into really not fun times for people, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, so interesting, the pseudo-permission. I I find it a lot with, with students who in their head, they just think like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Like even just that common phrase when they're thinking like, oh, I really want a donut or this donut is so good, but I I shouldn't really be eating it. Like even that can cause them can be a form of restriction. So I'm so glad that you bring it up because I'm not sure if we've really talked about that in um, previous episodes of the podcast. So I think that'll be really helpful for folks. And a lot of times too, like with the donut
1: example that you just mentioned, you know, even it's, it might not even be till... After the fact where they think they shouldn't but even sometimes during like as we're doing it we're having this guilt already or even just from the moment we decide to reach for that food the guilt dialogue already sets in. And so, yeah, it starts even from the place of
0: I've decided to do this. Mm -hmm. And then it stays with us and it totally takes away from eating this like delicious, fun donut because it just gets rid of all that
1: satisfaction. We don't even feel it. And so most of the time we're just feeling so guilty about it. We're not savoring it. We might have like triple the amount we would have had if we had just given ourselves that permission.
0: Mm, Yeah. It's like the irony of it all. So right yeah so with the sugar addiction i want to dive into that because i'm i'm just so excited um for listeners to hear all that you have to say about this um you mentioned the the rat study back in 2007 so was that kind of the first like is that where this whole claim of sugar is addiction addictive is that really where it originated from i think so i think that's where a lot of the other articles that talk about sugar addiction sort of lead
1: back to. Um, and then along with that, I remember seeing, and I don't remember when, and I couldn't find the exact one, but it was really, um, media worthy, this big picture of a brain. And it was like a PET scan or something where it showed you colors or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was showing the like pleasure center with people that were um, using substances like street drugs, like cocaine versus people's brains on sugar, quote unquote. And -hmm. they looked really identical. And I think that got a lot of people's attention. And I think it's really interesting because, um, you know like the pleasure reward system is using um, the neurochemistry of dopamine. So when we're kind of getting pleasure from something dopamine's released and that tells our body we oh we like this we should do this more and it's really interesting because dopamine is definitely something that's in place for our survival Mm -hmm. and so from like a survival or i like to call it caveman brain kind Mm -hmm. of standpoint um anything that's releasing dopamine for the most part is beneficial or necessary for survival. So like mating, that's definitely pleasurable so that we continue our species. And so it's no wonder that sugar, especially carbs and sugary things, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about sugar, but also bread, pasta, any other carb foods, feeling that addiction type feeling. Um, And that makes sense because if we didn't get pleasure from that and we didn't eat it when we Mm. were cavemen, (laughs) for you know, lack <laughs> of a better term, but when we were you know still young species, we wouldn't have made it because mm-hmm. if we didn't get rewarded for that, we wouldn't have kept doing it. And so I think that's something to think about too. A lot of activities mm-hmm. um, release dopamine too. And I think that um, it's really interesting. So like listening to music, or movement. And actually the other day you posted something about getting ready to lead a class. Yes. <laughs> I'm really nervous and I have the same experience. Um, no matter how many times I've talked about the same subject that I know like the back okay. of my hand, but it's still like the anxiety of it. But yeah, movement can help with that. And that's probably why that movement really helped you because it gave you that little boost. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sort of the idea is that, um, street drugs or different substances like alcohol and tobacco and um caffeine even can give us that dopamine release but those chemicals those substances they kind of hijack the pathway so it's not in the more natural kind of state that sugar kind of comes in it's a little bit of a different substance and that our body doesn't necessarily need it for survival so it sort of
0: acts in a different way but very Mm. similar Mm. yeah that is really interesting and i like what you mentioned about there's so many things that provide us with that dopamine hit i remember um i don't know if i read it somewhere or if i saw it on you know someone's instagram page but it was like you know hugging a mother hugging her child releases dopamine, but like, we don't say that a mother is addicted to her child, like, you know, like using those examples. So I think that's that's super interesting. Um, so you've mentioned a little bit about some of the limitations of these studies on sugar addiction, like with the rat one, it was obviously there was, it was like a binge restrict cycle. Um, with these other ones, again, there's a less natural pathway when you look at like a street drug versus, Um, sugar. I'm curious, what are some of the other limitations or maybe like how to bust, how else to bust the myth that like sugar is an addictive substance or that we can be addicted to it? Because there are so many different, um, I'm thinking of like specific holistic (laughs) practitioners that I see shared all the time online um, and i think i mean that's a whole another conversation about how it's so troubling when somebody in authority in that position is sharing harmful claims but um yeah what are some of the other limitations of those studies yeah definitely um looking
1: at again the like length of time that someone or the animal has access to the thing that they're looking at sugar in this case um and if they're doing you know human studies if they're not controlling for diet history um, weight cycling history, disordered eating or eating disorder diagnosis, kind of history, anything like that can really be triggering to people that have a really hard time with food. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people. And so I think it's pretty hard to find participants that wouldn't already sort of be triggered by that. But then again, the food is so highly palatable that, of course, it's going to taste good to us and of course we're going to want to eat more
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i think our tolerance for that has kind of shifted too because they've added so much sugar to our food supply again mm-hmm. that's the whole other conversation for another day <laughs> uh, and that's not our fault it's no one's fault it's just what sells and people like it and that's the whole point right they know that putting more sugar is going to make us buy it because we like it because mm-hmm. our survival brain tells us eat that eat that eat that it tastes good we're going to last forever we're going to live the longest life in the world if you just eat more sugar so we get enough fuel on the flip side that's sort of you know eroding our health too having too much of a good thing sometimes having that addictive kind of um feeling and then getting into that binge restrict cycle um it's just fine balance for sure And, Mm -hmm. and another study that i came across when i was sort of prepping for our chat was that um it was interesting, another rat study, I was looking at a review of all the sugar addiction um, research that's out Mm -hmm. there. And one study found that rats that had access to their normal chow is what they called it, as well as sugar, they sort of kind of adjusted their intake. So they would eat the sugar, but then they would eat a little bit less of their regular food. So their calorie Mm -hmm. amounts actually weren't different um and the same went for like if they had access to sugar all day um between different groups it wasn't that different and so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how the media can sort of play the narrative of oh my gosh look at this sugar so bad for us um and linking it to higher weight and how that's terrible for us and it's just like you said um kind of that authority giving us those harmful claims
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm curious um for like clients that you've worked with or just in general with like your training if someone comes to you and says like i feel like i'm addicted to sugar what -hmm. might be some steps or things that they can do to um i guess feel better right we don't want them to feel that way Um, but also to kind of show them that well, good news. You're, you're not addicted to it. Um, so what might be some steps that folks folks can take if they, f- if they can identify with that? It really varies because I hear it almost with
1: every client that I see. Um, some people aren't ready to hear the messaging that we've been talking about. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they really believe that it's the truth and the reality. And again, that's what they're feeling and that's okay. Um, so a lot of people end up practicing abstinence that are feeling like that. So they don't eat sugar anymore. And then I find that they just never really heal that relationship with their food. Um, but we can help everybody and they're not ready and that's okay. Um, for people that are sort of ready to listen to the message, I think really just exploring your relationship, like getting more into the intuitive eating piece. Are you restricting food? How is that serving you? What um, what is your sugar intake look like? Are you allowing yourself? Are you giving yourself permission to eat it? It definitely takes time um, to sort of adjust and give yourself that permission. And sometimes it doesn't ever go away. It can always be a little voice in the back of your head, but maybe it's just a lot quieter after some of the work that you do. It's a different journey for everybody. Um, But really the first step is to explore, explore what you're doing. How is it working for you? um, And just try something different. You know, Mm -hmm. if we're stuck in those same old diet patterns, that's not serving you. If you keep doing it, obviously the first time would have, you know, been the last time if it worked. And so exploring it, trying something different, being open, being flexible. And that's really tricky. It's
0: way easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously working with I think for a lot of people, I've recommended that they pick up the intuitive eating book if it's if it's available to them, because I think or like the workbook, because those um, the practices in it are really helpful. It's interesting, um, like when we talk about permission, giving ourselves unconditional permission to eat. One thing that has recently come up for me. I guess within like the last six months, I every semester, I work at a at a university and every semester or fall semester, I should say, I offer a four week intuitive eating workshop, just kind of like an intro for college students. And um, we spent like an entire half hour, <laughs> when we only meet for like an hour and fifth or an hour and a half every week um, during this four weeks, we spent like an entire half hour talking about the idea of entitlement eating and how so many people um this one participant in particular she was kind of like at war with the idea of intuitive eating and just the the you know giving yourself unconditional permission to eat and making peace with food because she promised me she said haley i have done that already like i i don't restrict myself i allow myself to eat whatever i want and when her and i met one-on-one we got to talking and it turns out that what she was really doing was practicing kind of like entitlement eating um which you know is really that um eating out of rebellion almost right and it it strips of us strips us of the joy and the satisfaction because it's almost like screw you person that told me never to eat potato chips, I'm just gonna keep eating them or screw you doctor who told me not to do this or that. Um, So I think that's something that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious if you've ever run into that with clients around like entitlement eating or what your thoughts are on that. Definitely. And I think that
1: it's really hard because with intuitive eating, it's so, there's so many things to it. It's so deep. and Like we said, it's such a different journey for everybody. And so when we tell people that they can eat whatever they want, you know, obviously it's not as easy as that, but basically that's what they're hearing, right? That's what they're hearing from us when we first start talking about the unconditional permission to eat. And that is scary. Most of the time I get that fear from people like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to just I'm not going to be able to do this i'm going to eat the whole bag of chips i'm going to eat the whole thing of ice cream that's in the freezer and so we always have to remember that gentle nutrition piece and the body respect piece and really focus on well how is what we're doing making us feel on a physical mental um and kind of soul level like if we're constantly eating a bag of chips just because you used it already i'll use it again as an mm-hmm. example how is it making our body feel? Are we physically feeling okay? Are we feeling overly full? Is it making our belly kind of feel funny or emotionally how is that making us feel? And when we sort of have that ick feeling, we can tell that something's probably not quite right and maybe we're not quite getting the whole point of the intuitive eating principle with that and so I think that's something to bring around is. You no, know, the intuitive eating principles all get intertwined and intermingled so much mm-hmm. so we can focus on one with people but then we have to remember to include the rest
0: mm, yeah i love that you mentioned the gentle nutrition because that's definitely for folks that aren't familiar with intuitive eating and a lot of times people who have um, misconceptions about it i think they're just unaware of the fact that there is a Gentle nutrition principle, and that intuitive eating was created by two registered dietitians. So obviously, they believe in the power of um, you know nutrition therapy. I'm curious, um, you know, when we're thinking about gentle nutrition as it relates to you know particularly sugar intake, I'm curious what maybe conversations might look like, like for someone who wants to be mindful of their sugar intake, right, trying to find like a gray area here, wants to be mindful of their sugar intake, but also doesn't want to restrict themselves, like what might that gentle nutrition piece look like for them? Definitely, I think it depends on where they're at in their journey.
1: But someone that's been practicing intuitive eating for a little while and has a pretty good grasp of it, I think, you know, if something sounds good, have it. And I think it's interesting too that, like, so I'll use a personal example. Um, I work at a hospital sometimes and I sit right next to the Baker's station. My office is right off the kitchen and that is interesting. So they're always having really yummy treats and I have to walk by them like a thousand times a day. And usually I'll pick one thing a day just because I'm like, Ooh, I want to have something, but I know the gentle nutrition piece. I know that if I eat too much, my belly's going to hurt, especially Mm. depending on what it is. Um, like the other day I had raspberry cheesecake. It was so. Oh, yum. Um, but I didn't eat the whole thing. And I think that sounds so foreign to people. Like, how could you not have eaten the whole thing? It wasn't a huge piece either. They, I think they cut it in like tenths, tenths,
0: 10
1: pieces per per cheesecake. And I think it's interesting because you can pay attention, right? That's, that's what we're talking about is eating it, savoring it, get that satisfaction from it, but also being checking in with your belly. Like, I think there were probably two or three bites left when I was like, I know if I'm going to, eat those couple last bites i'm not gonna feel so good i mean it wouldn't be the end of the world but i don't want to do that right now and i think that also brings us back to something i really like to talk about with clients is the power of the choice Mm. so you can choose you have the information if you have explored this and you know what happens in your body to say i know if i have the last couple pieces i can just tell in my belly that that's where i'm at right now if i have those last couple bites. I'm gonna feel pretty full, maybe kind of sluggish, maybe almost nauseous from eating this. And do I wanna do this right now or do I not wanna do this right now? Um, And then it's up to you. And having that power back instead of letting the food have the power over you Mm. makes such a huge difference. Mm.
0: I love that so much, the, the power of choice. And you're exactly right. If we're tuned into our body and have taken the time to listen to our body, Then we are able to make that choice. But if we're not, then it's either, you know, restricting it and not allowing ourselves to eat it, and the food wins, or overeating it, eating those last few bites, or maybe more, um, and experiencing uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable feelings in our body. So I love the power of choice. I've I've never heard that before, as it's talked about in intuitive eating. So I'm really glad that glad that you mentioned that. Um, I'm curious if there's other things that come up when you think about. Um, like sugar in in particular, or, you know, the claims about sugar addiction? Um, Anything else that you think would be helpful for folks who are listening to to hear? I think I just would like to reiterate that
1: if you feel that you're addicted to sugar, or you feel out of control around sugar, it's normal to have those feelings, just because of the way our culture or diet culture has really made us think about sugar, especially, um, you know, I think now that this generation has sort of been going, you know, I think it's been since what the 90s, 2000s, where sugar really started to become the demon. The 70s and 80s were more fat. And mm-hmm. so now that sugar has turned into this demon, most people these days have this idea that if I eat too much sugar, um, I'm going to have XYZ health complications. And again, remembering that nutrition is about patterns and it's not about specific foods. Um, You know, if we are enjoying desserts or sweets regularly in our sort of meal style, but also including nutritious foods also, um, there's no reason to think that we're going to have those XYZ health conditions Um, and really looking at, again, that restriction. Am I purposefully restricting or am I sort of, like you mentioned, that pseudo restriction?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One thing, Um. one more thing that came up was, as you were talking about like health concerns, Um. I feel like we, I, I have to ask you about diabetes. Whenever we're talking about type two diabetes in particular, whenever we're talking about sugar, Um. what are your, like, I guess just going to be completely open. Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on that when it comes to, like, I literally just saw somebody the other day and they told me that after meeting with their doctor like they need to be mindful about their sugar because of their are at you know they're pre-diabetic or at risk of becoming diabetic like type two um so i'm curious like just to know more about that from again from a dietitian's perspective that practices um a non-diet or anti-diet approach um, what are your thoughts on that it's a great question um so it's really easy for them then to say oh Well, if I eat sugar,
1: my blood sugar is going to go high, and that's really bad. And so I just shouldn't eat sugar. Again, that brings us to that restriction Mm -hmm. mindset. And so, yeah, being mindful is definitely a way to look at it for sure. So, okay, what are my blood sugars looking like? How am I feeling? You know, one candy bar is going to spike their blood sugar for, you know, that hour or two, but it's not going to, you know, increase their A1C, which is a kind of a blood sugar test over three months. Like, a few sweets here and there is not going to totally derail that. And that's sort of what the docs use as a baseline for treatment. Mm. Um, And so it kind of depends on the person and depends on, you know, what their levels look like. But for most people who are, you know, after diagnosis, they kind of have a good handle on, um, on their blood sugars. Um, Even if they are a little bit on the higher end, if they're restricting themselves, they're probably going to end up with that binge cycle and that's going to be worse for their blood sugars and their overall health. And relationship with food and body um, in the long run and so like you said being mindful and practicing that gentle nutrition Mm -hmm. that power of choice right because Mm -hmm. people with diabetes don't owe their blood sugar to anyone except Mm -hmm. themselves and so if they want to have sweets it's totally their choice to do it or not Mm -hmm. or manage how they do it maybe um you know eating sweets with a meal might go a little bit better than just by themselves just Mm -hmm. because of blood sugar stability or maybe if they want to, they could go for some extra movement after they have it to help with their blood sh- sugar levels um, coming back down. So many ways to do it. And instead of just thinking of sugar as this big, nasty, awful thing where we're just restricting and ending up in that binge cycle, um, or maybe not completely binge cycle, but definitely maybe a little bit disordered or, you know, overeating. And I don't really love that term anymore, but I haven't thought of a better one for it yet. <laughs> But, but sort of the same thing it's it's again that type of restriction
0: Mm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's so important and I've had a conversation uh, or a guest on the show that was an endocrinologist and those were some of the points that he mentioned too because I was like we've got to talk about diabetes and we didn't talk about it like specifically the the sugar piece of it but um, that's exactly what he mentioned too you know pairing it with you know um a protein for example or with a meal like you mentioned or going for a, a little walk afterwards if it may if it if it feels okay and if you're able so i like that approach to it and again it's the gentle nutrition approach to it and i think that for a lot of people um again not knowing that there is nutrition aspect baked into intuitive eating but we can't start with that otherwise we'll just turn the whole thing into a diet so um yeah. The important part is to heal that relationship with food and then add it in um so i think those are those are all really good points and really helpful for folks to consider and i think too it's it just makes me want to like breathe a sigh of relief (laughs) i can imagine I'm, i'm not somebody that's that's in that position but i can imagine that it would feel really good just to hear a dietitian say like you're okay you can still eat a candy bar because so many people that i've worked with um have not received that information. Again, coming back to the idea of because of weight bias and and all of that. So yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing that because I feel like it'll be really helpful for folks to hear. Definitely. Well, Ashley, this has been amazing. Um, I'm so glad that I was able to connect with you and talk more about sugar addiction. And um, several guests or not several guests, several listeners have asked me to talk more about this. And I always say like, I have a bit of an idea, you know, having that intuitive eating background, but I'm like, I am not an expert, but I feel like I, I hit the gold mine with you. So I'm so happy that we were able to connect um, and that you answered all the questions that, um, that I had. So thank you so much. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of GTB. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. You can also share this podcast on Instagram and tag me at Podcast. I will see you back here next week for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.